This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. You're listening to Quick to Listen, the Christianity Today podcast where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes and set aside time to explore the reality behind a major cultural event. I am Caitlin Beatty. I'm the print managing editor of Christianity Today, and I'm joined as always by my lovely co-host, Morgan Lee. Hi, Morgan. Caitlin, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, everyone. It's great to be here again for another episode of Quick to Listen. I'm an assistant editor at Christianity Today. And I am pleased to say that today we are joined by another big baseball fan. He's also a Twins fan, by the way. And also (laughs) someone I interviewed back in the day. We are with Barnabas Piper. He works at Lifeway in leadership development. He also is the host of a couple of podcasts himself. He is an author. um, And one of the books that he has written is called The Pastor's Kid, which is actually about the experience about being John Piper's son. You may have heard of him. And maybe a reason why he is <laughs> joining us today. Um, Barnabas is also a blogger and writes a lot about faith and sports and culture as well. So great to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for asking me. And uh, I was accused recently of trading on my father's name by an angry <laughs> online person. So I guess I'll just continue the trend uh, on this podcast. Yeah, and just yeah. Use that name as to my advantage. Yeah, we just want to make that person online even more angry. Confirm all the risk biases. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us. So as our listeners know, most controversies in our world come with complexity and tension. And each week we set aside time to just acknowledge those attention, uh, attention (laughs) and tension and work out as best as we can how Christians can respond. So this week we're delving into a thorny issue that came up last week. Darren Patrick, the vice president of the X29 Church Planning Network and founding pastor of the journey, which is the mega church in St. Louis, was fired for uh, violating his duties as a pastor. And one of the major behavioral issues that his church board or elder board cited as the reason for the firing was a history of building identity through ministry and media platforms, domineering and manipulation. These are not my descriptions, but this is what we reported on last week. So he has been in leadership for 14 years. Um, The church clarified that sexual behavior was not the issue at hand, but the issue at hand was really pride, basically. And this story fits into a broader trend that we've seen over the past five years of uh, lead pastors or the heads of organizations, um, especially particularly in the reformed world, have chosen to step down or have been made to step down over issues of pride. So this week, we don't want to heap shame upon Darren or any of the other people who have chosen to take that step. But we do want to talk about the deeper issues that uh, stories like this bring up. So now it's time for the gut check. And every week we do the gut check just to get everybody's initial reactions out on the table. We think it's better to get them out so then we can go deeper than our gut checks. Barnabas, how are you feeling in your gut about this? Uh, My first reaction when I saw this was disappointment, not as much at Darren, but because this is the kind of thing that 
makes people want to leave the church. Um, when church leaders fall, people give up on the church, right or wrong. Uh, they, it's a broken trust. And so I was really disappointed and saddened because of that. And the second gut reaction was if, as if we didn't need more confirmation that pastors are not holier than the rest of us and need the same kinds of accountability and prayer and spiritual disciplines and all those things that go into trying to follow Christ well. Mm, yeah, that's really good. What about you, Morgan? What's your gut reaction to this? I would echo the disappointment factor, but also that it felt closer to home. I also have interviewed Darren as well and another baseball connection too. He was also the chaplain or is the chaplain for the St. Louis Cardinals. And so at mm-hmm. the end of the interview that we had a couple of years ago, we chatted about the fact that our teams may be playing each other in the playoffs later that year. <laughs> you had to bring baseball back. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but it, I like feel... It never a, really goes away. No. no, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, so yeah, the, the sense of knowing him personally made, made it a little bit different than just another pastor. Yeah, well, my, my gut reaction, I don't know Darren particularly well. I guess my first reaction was, maybe a jaded lack of surprise because I'm a jaded journalist. And I just think these kinds of stories about the heads of organizations seem to come out on a pretty regular basis. And at the same time, in a weird way, I I was heartened that his church and the, pe- the people who speak into his life are taking the issue of pride seriously. I feel like it's a, it's one to, that's easy to overlook. And so I was I was happy that there was some kind of serious reckoning with the issue of pride. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go into our main discussion. And I I want to talk a little bit more deeply about kind of this this issue of pride. And one of the things I'm wondering is, are we are these stories that have come out in the past five years mean that the church or specific churches are taking the sin of pride like more seriously than before? Is this church is really deciding we're not going to tolerate this? Or are we just seeing more prideful pastors and therefore like more to deal with? So I'd love to hear from you, Barnabas, first. It's probably a little bit of both. I think the more times this happens, the more, uh, maybe the more license church leadership whether it's elders or deacons or whatever the, the church polity is, the more license they feel to act on it. So instead of feeling like they don't have the power and the authority, they look at this and go, well, if they did it, maybe we can act on it. So when there are problems, they can be addressed. But I think the second the second half is that with the rise of really the platform-driven ministry, I don't know a better way to, to describe it. I think everybody knows what I mean by that in terms of uh, conferences and, and web presence and, and authored books. And those things put people up on, on a pedestal where nobody else is, where they have no accountability, or at least this is the risk that is run. And so I, I think as pastors begin to see that as part of ministry, which I don't think it ought to necessarily be, mm-hmm. um, we, we do see an increase in prideful pastors because they are they're becoming more and more CEO-esque or more and more separated from from people who can speak into their lives and, and correct them and those kinds of things. So I think you, we are seeing a slight growth in churches willing to address this, but I think we're definitely seeing an increase in pastors who are who are trying to brand themselves and be the ministry instead of just be the pastor that God called them to be. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about kind of the pressure that's put on pastors of large churches to have this platform beyond just lead pastor. You know, you have to be a conference speaker and you have to be an author and you have to be have a major Twitter following and all of that. 
those arenas are often places where people don't know you very well. They just really like you. And that's not often a very healthy place to be or to remain spiritually. Yeah. I I think there's a secondary aspect to this as well. And that is with, with the internet being what it is and local church ministry is no longer local church ministry. It is now, it it is a broader thing They're, they're between podcasts and Twitter and conferences and all that stuff. So we now know about these things, you know, 30 years ago, if a pastor was removed from ministry for whatever sin, it didn't really make waves unless it was, you know, the guy had a national radio show or something. These days, it makes waves because everybody knows who these guys are. Right. Everybody in the church circles know who these guys are. So it it feels like a really big deal when a local church pastor in St. Louis is removed from his position, even though I live in Nashville and have never attended his church. Right, right. Yeah. Morgan, what are your thoughts? You're, I see you stewing. Indeed I am, for those who cannot witness this. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely thinking that the symptoms of pride can be more visible or in some ways documented. And we may not know exactly the motives that go in behind someone creating content for social media, releasing a book or speaking. But those that are in community and know this person will know or have at least have a better sense of what those motives are and then be able to say, this is how it's manifested itself mm-hmm. in these particular ways. And I definitely echo everything that Barnes was saying about the disconnect from a local church where so much of where your personality is cultivated is mm-hmm. apart from the people that you have direct contact with mm-hmm. as well, at least on Sunday morning or in-person contact with to some extent. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I, I did do, so Darren Patrick, as you mentioned earlier, Caitlin, was part of Acts 29. And so mm-hmm. I went onto the Acts 29 website and I looked at some of the criteria that they use for local church planters. I just mm-hmm. wanted to see what type of language they use to talk about pride and address the stuff. And so one thing that it says is that you have to be older than 25 years old. And older than 25 years old is not that old. No. Basically, <laughs> that means that if I was a man next week, I could start my own church because my birthday is next week and I'll be 26 <laughs> then. I'm in the part of my career right now where I feel like I have a lot of pressure to build my own brand mm-hmm. and to build my my own following and where I can't just think about how to be a better journalist, so to speak, but how to make people kind of cognizant of who I am. And Mm -hmm. so if I'm thinking that way in my particular career, I'm not really surprised at all that other people would adopt those same types of strategies and feelings in their work, whether it's ministry or otherwise, especially given the fact that there's so many people that are held up as role models who Mm -hmm. are doing this as well. Mm -hmm. One of the things that strikes me about kind of these stories of pastors and the issue of pride and kind of being reprimanded over that or stepping down over that is that they're all happening in kind of the reformed, young, restless and reformed world. And I'm wondering, does that mean that kind of reformed leaders just take the issue of pride more seriously than other kind of church tribes or denominations? It's really hard for me to imagine this happening in like a United Methodist Church. But then again, there aren't as many celebrity pastors in that world. Can I talk about X-29 again for a second? So another way to think of X-29 other than like a church planting organization is like an incubator, but for churches, right? Mm -hmm. If we think about like the language of like starting of, of like startup language and how it often, again, is very much driven about like what a single person can do and being very charismatic with the Mm -hmm. vision that you're trying to purport. They're, it's not like they're actually placing people in churches. This is a church planting organization. And so you have to have a base level of charisma to be able to do this type of work right. in a way that a denomination that's just placing people is not filtering uh, in the same way. So you're saying that something like a church network like X29 is perhaps 
more reliant or perhaps unnecessarily reliant on the charisma of a single individual rather than kind of the denominational outworkings. And then with charisma can come the issue of pride. It would seem that way. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Barnabas? We haven't heard from you for a while. Well, I think that's probably true about uh, organizations like Acts 29. And I say organizations like in spite of the fact that I'm not aware of very many others like them. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that startup mentality, and I think there's another aspect, and that is uh, the culture of an organization reflects the leadership of the organization. And Acts 29 was founded by Mark Driscoll. Um, who famously did, you know, he kind of lost his position as a pastor for pride related reasons as well. Now it is, it is an unfair characterization to paint Acts 29 in the brush of, oh, those are a bunch of Driscollites. But you see, you see elements of that in when this happens. But I do think that, that the other, the, the other part of the question you asked is, uh, you know, are, are these, is this reformed camp taking pride more seriously? Um, I think in some ways that is very true as well. Now, it's not consistently true because there are plenty of arrogant reformed people who are still pastors and, and in places of influence. But a lot of denominations and, and church polity, the way that the way the church polities are set up and things like that, the churches can't remove their pastors. So a pastor can just run roughshod and just be the king of his church. And I could name I could name some, except that I feel like that's probably out of line, who they're not reformed. <laughs> And they are, they are, they are branding and, uh, self-driven and CEO and, and in some ways tyrannical. And they will never get ousted from their church unless they have an affair or steal hundreds of thousands of dollars. But, but they're not qualified to be pastors based on the qualification of humility. So it's, it's both discouraging and encouraging, kind of like what you said during the, uh, the, the gut check section, Caitlin, because it's discouraging because it happens. Right. It's encouraging because at least somebody is trying to protect the church from prideful leadership. Yeah, yeah, that's a great lead into my kind of second question, which is a lot of these either firings or people stepping down have the effect of declaring certain leaders out of a community. Like you were in, you were you were getting invited to the conferences, you were being given a platform and now you're out in some public way. And I'm wondering why is that important for churches or organizations like Acts 29? Why, why is there, why does there need to be that distancing? And then is there a time when the disciplined person is let back in to the community? I think that, um, I think that it is important to, to do that. I mean, you see that in kind of modeled in scripture or at least laid out in scripture, not necessarily the, the tribal aspect of, you know, you're out of this tribe or this group, but that, um, removing somebody from the church for different reasons. What I would say is that, uh, what is happening in these cases is oftentimes is not as healthy as all that. It is not removing somebody from a position of leadership, uh, in order to restore them. And I don't know, and I'm, t I'm not talking about the situation with Darren and the journey. They may be taking wonderful care of him, but it is, it is more just like kicking people to the curb. And, and I just was having this conversation with a couple of coworkers yesterday that when, when a high profile pastor falls, they will never regain that level of prominence. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And I don't know if that's because of broken trust or if it's just because the groups that would have raised them to prominence will no longer have them back. It's probably both, but I, I just, I think that, uh, I think it is good to remove them with the purpose of restoration, with the purpose of caring for their soul, with the purpose of working through those issues. 
And I do think that if a lot of those people are probably going to be in a position to minister more effectively down the road, I think one of the great weaknesses of, and I don't know if it's just reformed or just churches in general, is letting people back into ministry in any capacity, letting them re-earn trust. We love to talk about forgiveness, but when forgiveness means taking a risk on somebody who has fallen and putting them back in a position of authority or, or influence, we're really hesitant to do so. Yeah. And I think part of that is, you know, partially the risk of, yeah. oh my gosh, what if this were to happen again? And what would, what would that look like? In our broken world, it can be hard to see how Jesus is at work making all things new. That's why every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear through redemptive storytelling and global reporting. Whether it's a pastor in Brazil who uses CT in Portuguese to lead his ministry, or a young believer who wants to think biblically about our culture, CT comes alongside believers to illuminate what it looks like to follow Jesus in today's world. Jesus is transforming his world. CT is equipping his church. Give a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. As far as removing people or having people being distanced from churches or other affiliations, at least at the church level, and when you're dealing with something like pride, there will be a lot of folks who had really broken relationships with whoever is being let go or fired or removed. Right. And there really needs to be a period of cooling off and healing and debriefing that likely cannot actually go on if this person is trying to stay in close community with Mm -hmm. the people that were offended. I kind of tend to think that some of the restoration processes have had maybe happened too quickly because so much relies on this really good equipped charismatic leader that the church is afraid to like let them go entirely but part of what happens then is that there are people in the church who have been really hurt by patterns of sin or patterns of pride and they feel like you you didn't take my pain or you know my need to be reconciled to this person seriously yeah i, I think I think too often restoration is about restoring to a position and not about restoring the soul. And that's if your if your goal is to restore somebody to a position, either that either the fallen person's goal is to restore themselves or the church's goal is to restore that person. You're really just doubling down on on the potential for pride because you're you're simply saying, here's a list of things we need to do. Let's get through them as quickly as possible. Instead of saying we have no time frame, what we want to see is godly humility. We want to see evidence of the Holy Spirit changing somebody's heart. We want to see conviction. We want to see restoration with all of those hurt people. And and I know that most pastors, when they fall, they hurt people they don't even know because that person had a relationship with them that was not reciprocated. That's just the nature of the pastorate. But they can still have a, a stance of humility and and sorrow about their sin, as well as Whenever the the opportunity is right, making the the right public declarations and statements and and requests for forgiveness, and that is also something that that you don't see a lot of. You sort of see the one letter of, yeah, I screwed up, and then they disappear for twelve months and then reappear trying to regain a ministry position. And it, I don't want to judge hearts, but it feels wrong a lot. You know when that happens. Yeah, it feels like wait a minute, how how could you be back? 
either in the same church or in or starting your own ministry. You see that too, where like someone is removed from a position, they're kind of put out of a community, and then they just join another community and quickly gain prominence there. And you think, this cannot be good for your soul and for the souls of the people you're trying to minister to. It would be so encouraging if you saw a pastor who who left ministry for for reasons of pride, who disappeared for, I don't know, know, two years, and then reappeared as an associate pastor on somebody else's staff. Yes. Something like that, where they're they're joining another community. They are under the, the authority, maybe mentorship and care of another church, rather than climbing to the top of the ladder again, just to potentially fall off, because that also regains trust. And I think that's something that people don't realize is that when trust is broken, it takes forever to rebuild it. And when a, when a pastor falls, it might not ever happen in the same way. But if they want to serve the Lord in ministry, they find a humble way to do it, not, you know, a take two on what they already tried. One other point that I wanted to bring in, I was speaking to a pastor who recently took on a fallen pastor at his church in a non-ministry role. And he said that one of the reasons that he had brought this person on staff was as a way of helping this person provide for their family and their, you know, their spouse and kids. And so I'm wondering with all of these letting people out of these churches and affiliations, how people go about negotiating the spaces for the spouse and the kids Mm -hmm. who are obviously making this their primary community as well. And the level of complications people are willing to allow in, in letting most of that family still attend um, or the extent to which people end up paying or the kids in this case may end up paying for the sins of their parents to some extent in being booted out of a particular community. But but I imagine that has got to be difficult and complicated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, you just kind of in our news reporting or in the headlines about these stories, you don't really hear that much about the family. You don't hear about the spouse or the children. And and unfortunately, the family is kind of painted (laughs) in a certain way by no fault of their own most of the time. And, And you would just hope that people in that church community are extending so much grace and ministry and and probably some counseling as well to people who were kind of victims of whatever happened. I mean, I would venture to guess that in most of these situations, uh, once the once the kids especially are of a certain age, so say middle school and older, once they're aware of the kind of the gravity of the situation, they probably don't even want to be part of that church anymore. They they their identity has been wrapped up in it. They have been part of the ministry. So they could be an incredibly healthy family. So not like... Are you speaking as a pastor's kid? <laughs> uh, I am. Yes. That would be. You wrote a book called The Pastor's Kid. This is me speaking with a little bit of empathy for for those kids. I, I mean, if I'm putting myself in that spot, if I was, say, a, a sophomore in high school or something along those lines, and because I know Darren has kids around that age and other pastors have had, you know, there's a lot of, lot of middle school and high school age kids who are affected by this. Their identity has been in that church. That is their, it's their community. It's their family. It's a lot of things. It's just part of the rhythm of life and it's broken now. And so even, even if it's a very supportive church, just to the sheer awkwardness and, and sort of secondhand shame of showing up would be brutal because you know that people are angry at your parents. You know that people are hurt by your parents. You don't know how much of that is trickling down on you, but you know that people are watching. You know that people care, but in some ways you probably resent them for caring because you kind of want them out of your face or out of your business. 
And so it, it is a situation where those close to the family really need to step up. And those distant from the family probably just really need to step up their prayers because there's not a lot else you can do. But those, yeah, those kids are just in limbo in a really awkward and painful way. And, and I'm, and I'm sure it is true for the spouse as well because, because like, you know, just like pastor's kids, they have been wrapped up and deeply invested in the ministry also. Right, right. So really quickly, kind of my, my final question, we, Morgan touched upon this with kind of the nature of Acts 29 as a movement and how they seek out, you know, leaders who are charismatic and entrepreneurial and often have, are easy, easily cultivate a following of their own. How do we discern between pride, which scripture takes very seriously as sin and something like ambition or confidence? To me, it seems like it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that pride would be an occupational hazard <laughs> for pastors. Yeah. So, so how do we kind of parse between those two things? And then I'm wondering how can the people who are around these pastors help the people they're mentoring cultivate a healthy ambition or healthy entrepreneurship without, while also doing it humbly, you know, in the way of Jesus? I think the starting point is to just, is to not wonder if pride is an occupational hazard, but to just know that it is. Because pride is an occupational hazard for all of us. You know, if you, you guys as journalists. Not for me. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> teach me, please. Um, I mean, as, as writers, as journalists, with, if you have a byline, uh, if your name is on a book, if it's on a website, if it's on a podcast, it comes with pride. That is a, that is an ego boost. And, and so just starting there and going pride is a daily battle for anybody in any situation. And it, when you are an upfront person, you know, so you're standing in front of a crowd when, when your name is essentially the brand as it is for a lot of these large churches. Cause let's face it, they wouldn't be large churches if it wasn't for the preaching pastor. Right. Then, then, Pride has just, the opportunity for pride has increased exponentially. And so I think it has to be a situation where um, that is acknowledged from the get-go. And then and then the, the team around that person has to just be drilling into each other. So it's a mutual thing constantly reminding themselves that every good thing that happens is because God does a good thing. And Yes, he has given some people the charismatic gift of speaking publicly or the gift of words, but God gave the gift. I mean, it's just, it's just throughout scripture that everything that we do well is a gift from God. Everything that is a success for us is God's work in us. And the moment we lose sight of that is the moment that we begin to fall into sins of pride. It's when we begin to say, my strategy did this, my plan did this, my sermon did this. And so it's, I, I, that is not a formula. It is a, it is simply a mindset and a, and a position of the heart to show up at work every day at your church and say, God is doing things and I am part of that. I'm, God is not doing things because of me. And the moment you lose that, uh, it's very hard to get it back. And, and, and then you are on the slope of becoming arrogant, tyrannical, whatever else. I, I realize that pride in many ways is a heart issue, so to speak. But I do think there are some structural things that can be implemented to kind of mitigate against this in your own church. So I, I know of one church, at least, where the primary speaking or teaching pastor was not at all one of the executive or top level pastors who made most of the decisions. His job was to be really good at 
delivering sermons on Sunday morning, and that was his role. And so he did not have a lot of other power that he was entrusted with. And so the abuse for power seemed to have been a little bit quelled. And then there, I know there are other churches that actually have teaching teams that go out there. And so again, you see a variety of folks who are up front and out there. And one of the churches that I used to attend, everyone that was on leadership would be down in the foyer and be very available afterwards to talk with people. And Mm -hmm. I think giving the congregation lots of access points to feel that they have more efficacy and availability and that it doesn't all come down to one person are some steps to kind of like fight against the cult of personality. Yeah, yeah, that's a good note to end on that there are both kind of spiritual and individual things to do to keep pride in check. And by the way, all of us, you know, have a platform because we're speaking right now. And that the, there there also can be structural things or way or organizational culture things that churches can implement to check on pride. Well, thank you both for your thoughtfulness and care on this really important topic. I hope our listeners are encouraged that, you know, when we see pastors fall or reprimanded in this way, it's not the end of the story. And we we invite you to chime in on this conversation if there were points that we didn't hit or stories that you have from your, your life or your church's life. We invite you to share those um, on Facebook. Uh, we are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ct podcast we're also on twitter at ct podcast and we are really going to blitz through our precious moments right now precious moments. this is the time of the show where we each share something that's making us happy this week this can be a person place thing concept but something that is giving us joy and then where listeners can find you so we'll start with you barnabas uh, two things have been giving me great joy this week. One is that I finally went back and started watching the show The West Wing, uh, which it took me forever to start watching. But the writing on it is genius, and it makes me laugh all the time. It's really funny. And the second thing was two days ago, I got to sit outside in 70-degree weather and eat uh, barbecue ribs at a place called the Peg Leg Porker here in Nashville. <laughs> and uh, that is, that's really close to heaven. So... I would I would say those two things have given me great joy this week. Great. Where can we find you, Barnabas? Yes, I'm on Twitter at Barnabas Piper. So pretty straightforward. Uh, I blog pretty regularly at a site called The Blazing Center. So it's just blazingcenter.com. And then the two podcasts that I co-host, one is called Five Leadership Questions. That's where we interview different leaders and talk about different leadership topics. And then the other is called The Happy Rant. And I co-host that with Ted Cluck and Ronnie Martin. And we basically riff in pretty much a sarcastic fashion on different things about church and culture and sports and whatever else we feel like just to try to add a little levity to the Christian mindset. That's a great name. I love to rant and it makes me happy. Amen. <laughs> I'll have to listen Amen. to it. <laughs> All right. What about you, Morgan? What's your precious moment? Similar to Barnabas's, mine was eating and drinking with friends in my backyard that has really incredible patio lights two nights in a row this week. Nice. Everyone can find me on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. And my precious moment for the week, I was at the Festival of Faith and Writing last weekend in Grand Rapids, and we heard a talk from the lead singer of the Mountain Goats, which is kind of an indie folk band, John Darnielle. And I, I had never heard him talk about his spiritual life, but he said in his talk last Thursday that a song that has saved his life was a Rich Mullins song covered by Amy Grant. I had no idea that the Mountain Goats lead singer was like into CCM, but it made me really happy. (laughs) And then people can find me on Twitter at Caitlin Beatty. And that is it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. 
This show is produced by Richard Clark and Cray Allred. We also want to give a special thanks to associate editor Kate Shellnut. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you like the show, make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us an incredible amount. We're also on Overcast because I recently showed someone how to subscribe to our podcast. On <laughs> what Overcast. is Overcast? It's another place you can get a podcast awesome. from. Great. Well, thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.